This podcast may include adult content. Bound Off is an independent, non-profit audio magazine committed to paying authors for their work. To join us in our mission of broadcasting great stories to a worldwide audience, please consider dropping us a dollar or two at boundoff.com slash donate. Support for this episode comes from the Loft Literary Center, located in Minneapolis, Minnesota, one of the nation's leading literary nonprofits, offering a wide array of online creative writing classes for all levels and genres. Online classes are offered seasonally. Find out how to register at loft.org. Welcome to Bound Off, a literary audio broadcast. In this edition, we have two stories, Climbing by Ben Lieb and Gate of Sorrows by Mary Helen Stefaniak. Climbing, written and read by Ben Lieb. Listening time, 10 minutes, 29 seconds. Bobby and I approached the Nexus desk. It was after breakfast, maybe 8.30, and we were getting an early start. But there were also time constraints, and Bobby needed to meet his lawyer early, before court reconvened from lunch. What y'all need, Shirley asked from within the Nexus reception area. We got day passes, Bobby said. We need bus tokens. And BART passes, I added. You leaving? Where you going? Got a court date in South San Francisco, Bobby said. He gonna be buddying you? Shirley asked, pointing the eraser end of her pencil at me. Yep, the pass is for both of us. Let me look at this, Shirley said, really taking time now to inspect the day pass. It wasn't often that residents got to leave on weekdays. We'd be getting out of all the house meetings, the chores, our work shifts. Mo know about this, she asked, turning and looking over her shoulder. Mo, the office manager at the facility, looked up, saw us standing at the window, and nodded to Shirley. Yep, Mo said. Ulysses said they'd be leaving for the day. Well, okay then, Shirley said. She set the clipboard on the counter so that we could sign out. She handed each of us two muni tokens and a BART card. We had to trust that there'd be enough balance for the fare. I picked up the clipboard from the counter and signed my name. What's the date? I asked. August 21st, Bobby said. I wrote 8-21-00. We walked out of Walden House and onto the corner of Hayes and Fillmore. Fucking freedom, Bobby said as we descended the stone staircase. I looked back up at the building. The ancient-looking convent now housed the 125 felonious drug addicts. It'd be nice to get out for a day. You got any money? Bobby asked. We stood at the curb for a second and then crossed Hayes Street and took a seat in the bus stop. All of the bus stops had those little plank-like seats that swiveled on a hinge. I figured they built them like that so you couldn't set stuff on them, because as soon as you stood up, the seat would swivel vertical, like a tiny plastic version of a movie theater chair. There was a round metal bar for a seat back. Bobby and I each stepped up onto the seats, rested our asses on the metal bar, and leant back against the glass of the bus stop. I pulled out a lucky strike and lit it up. I got, I think, maybe $11? Okay, he said. Do you have any money? A couple dollars. Maybe we could get something to eat later. Bobby and I could have packed ourselves bag lunches, but we didn't. And there hadn't been a specific impetus not to, it just hadn't really crossed our minds. The 21 pulled up. Bus, Bobby said, standing from the bus stop and holding a hand up to make sure we were noticed. Bobby boarded, hollering about the greatness of the day. He was tattooed around his neck and up and down his arms, on one of his calves that was visible beneath his baggy cutoffs. He had a blonde mohawk and didn't shave often, This, the morning of his court date being no exception. We were both 19 years old. 
I followed him onto the bus, dropped my token in the slot, and took the transfer from the driver. We found a row with two open seats. So what's your court date about? I asked him. Drunk in public, he said, resisting arrest. And you're on probation, right? Yeah, I'm hoping that the last two months in treatment will buy me some leniency there. I bet it will, I said. You ever been arrested? Bobby asked. Yeah, a few times. I'm always drunk when they arrest me, and so I always fight the cops. It's stupid, I know. But I just don't know what I'm doing. It's like I can't control myself. You ever fight back when you get arrested? Nah, I said. I always try to buddy up with the cops, joke around with them and shit. Sometimes it keeps me out of trouble, but never when I really want it to. Every time I've been in the back of a police car, I do the same thing, Bobby said. I tuck my legs up, pull the cuffs around my ankles so that my arms are in front of me, and I start kicking the window with both feet. That shit's unbreakable, right? I said. Yeah, but if you kick it hard enough, you can bust the window right out of the car. We boarded the Civic Center BART station and rode the Millbrae train to South San Francisco. What you got in your disc, man? I asked him. Rudimentary peni, Bobby said. What'd you bring? The cramps. Album? Flame job. You gotta get in their old shit, Bobby advised. We listened to our discmen and rode the train. We were walking down Mission toward the courthouse. The road was lined with empty lots and trees to our right. Apartments faced Mission on our left. I was drunk, real drunk, I said. And I was in my dorm. People said they saw me falling around beforehand. I'd already broken a window. I couldn't really stand up. Oh yeah, Bobby said. I've been there. Kids told me that all of a sudden they heard boom, 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 boom as I fell down the stairs. I busted my head open pretty good, broke all the capillaries in both eyes, just mangled my whole face. I came to when the paramedics were picking me up, but then slipped back into my blackout. Oh, fuck, that's what the scar is from. Yep, I said, touching the purple line, diagonally bisecting my forehead, and terminating at my right eye. So the next time I wake up, I'm in the hospital, lying there on the gurney, and I just know, fuck, I'm in trouble here. I'm concussed, my brain's not working quite right, I've drunk enough booze that I'm demented, and I've been on one for days. Not enough sleep, so I'm impaired. My first instinct is to run away. I jump up, but they've got IVs in both my arms. So I start tugging at these things, trying to get them out, but they're taped down. If I'd taken my time, I might have been more successful. A nurse walks in and sees me doing this, and she has to call for a bunch of the orderlies or whatever. They had like four or five dudes there holding me down, restraining me while I tried to get myself loose. They ended up tying down my arms, my legs, my head. I was scared as hell. Oh shit, were you okay? I had to get like 26 stitches in my head, but the worst part was really the CAT scan. I was still tied up when they sent me through this big metal tube. I just screamed and screamed. So that's why you got kicked out of school, Bobby asked. That's why you got sent here. Oh no, it took me another four months or so before I landed in treatment. I got kicked out for grades. The San Mateo County Superior Courthouse in South San Francisco was a flat building with a flat roof and a flat lawn. It was unremarkable and uninviting. I found a bench out front beneath the overhang. I waited outside in the shade while Bobby went in to meet his lawyer and then to go to court. I expected to be waiting there a while, but Bobby came pacing out of the building twenty minutes after he entered. I could tell by looking at him that things hadn't gone as they should have. Holy shit, dude, he said. My lawyer's not here. They don't even have my court case listed. Oh shit is right. Could you have gotten the dates wrong? 
I thought that, but my lawyer called my dad two days ago to make sure that I'd be here. You should call him, dude. What do you think's going on? Bobby asked. Whatever it is, I said, it's probably not good news. I'm pretty sure they didn't forget about the kid who kicked out the cop car window. Bobby nodded. He turned around and headed back into the courthouse to try and figure things out. I waited there another hour. I listened to my music and tried to smoke sparingly as the luckies in my pack were dwindling. When I hadn't th while I hadn't thought to bring a lunch, I did remember to grab a handful of the bugler rolling tobacco that Walden set out for its residence. I wrapped loose leaf in a brown paper towel, folded it, and put it in my pocket. And I put ten or so rolling papers in my, in my wallet. Between each of my luckies, I'd roll cigarettes from the bugler. Bobby reemerged. He was smiling, but he still looked worried. You figure it out? Yeah, he said. I had to convince them to let me use the phone and shit. And then they also looked up my case for me on the computer. And? I missed my court date. I wasn't even supposed to be here. My court date was supposed to be held in the San Francisco courthouse. Oh, shit, I said. Same case? No, it's a different charge. Or, well, same charges, different incident. You kicked the cop car window out on that one, too? Yeah. So did you get to talk to your lawyer? Finally. And? He's going to try to get the date postponed, tell them that I showed up but just at the wrong place. I still have my case here, too. It's just in a couple of weeks. We were walking back towards the BART station. Now the lots and the trees were to our left, the apartments to our right. What do you want to do now? Bobby asked. I don't know. We still got a ton of time before they expect us back. We looked around the flat, dusty landscape around us. There was nothing much in sight, not even a convenience store that I could see. Bobby was silent. Come on, man, I said. Give me something here. I mean, this is your old stomping ground. We could walk over to my dad's place, but he lives like four miles from here. Okay, well, that's out. I don't know what I used to do here. It's not like I spent my free time hanging out of the courthouse. We kept walking, slowly, inspecting the landscape as we went, hoping for some inspiration. Look at that fucking tree, I said. She's a big one, Bobby said. That's a climbing tree, I said. You want to climb it? Shit, we got nothing but time. The tree was pretty easy to climb, lots of horizontal limbs and not too far up from one to the next. We climbed higher and higher, and then we sat on a branch about 20 feet aloft. Fucking ants, Bobby said, picking bugs off of his shorts. I know, they're going for the sap, I told him. My pants were smeared and sticky with it. We stared out from our perch there. You couldn't see the city or much of anything at all because the foliage blocked the view. So we just watched the leaves moving for a couple of minutes, bullshitting still only further from the ground while we were doing it. Bobby turned his head skyward. Hey, he said, pointing. You think we could stand on that one? I inspected the fray above us where the limbs began to lose their girth. I bet we can, I nodded. I watched him reach out with those long arms, the artwork on his flesh rippling over the tautness of his sinews, and take hold of whatever over his head he could grab onto next. Ben Lieb spent 12 years as a waiter, a student, both undergraduate and graduate, and an alcoholic intravenous drug user. Each of these stations brought him an equal amount of torment. He now happily works at sea five weeks out of every ten. You can check out his publication history at benlieb.com, B-E-N-L-E-I-B.com. Gate of Sorrows, written and read by Mary Helen Stefaniak. 
Listing time, 10 minutes, 51 seconds. He was trying not to think about his wife. If he thought about his wife, he was lost. He wouldn't be thinking about her, he was certain, if it weren't for the woman sitting by the windows. She was looking outside over her shoulder, watching a jet taxi toward the terminal and swing itself around to get lined up with its boarding bridge. It was not the plane they were waiting for. Their plane was already attached to the end of another boarding bridge. In a moment, the airline employee required to stand beside the machine that took their boarding passes and spit them out again would open the door at gate A26. The monitor above the service counter said that their flight would depart on time. A little boy slept in a stroller at the woman's feet. They would be among the first passengers to board. The woman was dressed the way his wife would be. The hem of her long-sleeved black dress brushed the top of her tennis shoes. The hijab that covered her hair was pulled low on her forehead, framing her bare face with light blue fabric like a veil of sky. She was young. From where he sat in a row facing hers, he could see that both her feet were tapping the floor under her long skirt. Her hands were calm, though, one idle in her lap, pale against her black dress, the other holding the handle of the stroller, where the little boy was now stirring. He thought of his wife's hands, her palms cool on either side of his face, or warm on the small of his back. The woman stood up. She gathered her things and hooked a plastic bag over the handle of the stroller. She was leaving. Perhaps she was waiting at the wrong gate. His heart lifted a little as he watched her maneuver the stroller between the rows of seats in the waiting area. At the service counter, she stopped to dig through her bag. She pulled the ticket folder out of the bag and handed it to the airline agent, a painted witch in a shapely skirt and jacket. Can you check and make sure that one of these is an aisle seat? He heard her say to the woman behind the counter. Her American voice astonished him. His own English was barely intelligible, he'd been told, every sentence a barrage of clipped syllables. He was not to speak unless he had to, and then only one word or two as needed. Yes, he had practiced. Okay. Thanks. No please. The woman behind the counter had taken the folder and flipped through the flight coupons inside. You've got a center and a window here, she said. But I reserved an aisle seat when I bought the tickets. I'm sorry, the woman behind the counter was saying. She tried to hand back the ticket. Are there any aisle seats available? I'm sorry, the woman behind the counter said again, there are no unassigned seats on this flight. Well, could you at least check? He saw a frown pass over the painted woman's face. He saw her eyes rake the sweep of black fabric that covered the other woman, shielding most of her from view. Once, at the supermarket in Orlando, a gaggle of boys and half-dressed girls were in line behind him and his wife. 
He'd heard one of them say, Shit, I forgot my costume. It must be Halloween. They sniggered and bumped against each other, the girl's bare arms and legs brushing the boys. Later that week, after a meeting, he asked Atta what they meant. Hollow, they'd said, and then a small word that was not known to him. When Atta explained, mentioning devils and witches and spirits of the dead, he was afraid that they had cursed his wife in some way, but Atta said no, it was of no consequence. He couldn't forget it, though, the way they had looked at his wife, those boys. Whenever he felt his courage failing, his resolve fading away, he would think of those boys, laughing with open mouths, touching the bare shoulders and thighs of the girls, and the surge of hatred they roused would nourish him. The woman behind the counter punched some keys on her computer and said again, I'm sorry. He watched the other woman push the stroller back to her seat by the windows. The little boy was awake now. The woman leaned forward to unsnap the belt and harness that held him in. The child climbed up onto the seat and leaned against her, partly hidden by her blue veil. Attention all passengers! His heart twisted. United Flight 425, nonstop to Los Angeles, will begin boarding shortly at gate A26. All ticketed passengers should be in the gate area at this time. He could hardly hear the announcement over the roaring that had risen in his ears. His lungs had forgotten how to breathe. He couldn't do it. He could see that now. He ought to pray. He closed his eyes and waited, but God was nowhere to be found. This frightened him more than anything else, more than the razor knives inside the lining of his suit jacket, more than the rolled-up wire in his sleeve. He wouldn't make it. He struggled to draw a breath. He didn't look at the other two men, Daoud in the sweatshirt that said life is what happens, Hassan in a pink golf polo and khaki pants. He wasn't thinking of his wife. He wasn't thinking of anything, but something was wrong. Something had tightened at the base of his throat. Excuse me. His wife stood before him like a figure in a dream. He almost whispered her name, but then his head cleared. The child, a boy with round brown eyes, stared at him, one hand holding his mother's, the other bunching the front of his pants. I hope you won't think this is too weird, but I'm wondering if I could ask you a small favor for my son. The little boy stuck out his lower lip. Mo won't go into the women's restroom no matter what. Is there any chance you could walk with us to the men's room by the coffee cart and just go in and stand by the door while he's in there? I can't let him go alone and my husband isn't here. She laughed, three years old, and already he's a man. His heart lurched in his chest like a drunken man as she spoke to him. Of all the people waiting at gate A26, why had she asked him to do this thing? Because he was the one in the suit? It was an expensive suit, hand-tailored to fit his narrow shoulders, the sleeves hemmed to show a half-inch of white cuff. 
he felt like an impostor in it. He had confessed this to Atta, who laughed and said, You are an impostor. Perhaps he reminded her of her husband, who was probably a doctor or a teacher, or maybe still a student like himself, waiting for her in Los Angeles. Of all the men in the waiting area, he was the one who would make her little boy feel the safest, a nice-looking man, dark-skinned and clean-shaven, his brown eyes a match for the little boy's round ones. But what should he do? He knew that the other two men were watching him closely. The rolled wire in his sleeve touched the inside of his elbow. He moved his arm. He wondered what would happen if he got up and walked with the woman to the men's room door, which was plain to see from where he sat. What if he held the little boy's hand and crossed the concourse with him? What if he came out again and took the woman's arm and led the two of them away from gate A-26, explaining quietly to her that she should remain calm but be ready to fling herself and the boy into the arms of the nearest passers-by when he gave her the signal? Or what if he scooped up the child and ran, the woman shrieking after him, if he let himself be grabbed by airport security and wrestled to the ground, the police called, the other two men disappearing if they could? Or what if he only said to her, I have a seat on the aisle? He had only to say the words, any words. Surely she could hear his heart pounding as he took a breath, as he opened his mouth to speak. United Flight 425 nonstop to Los Angeles is now boarding at gate A26. Passengers with small children and those who need additional time to board, please proceed to the gate at this time. Oh, the woman said, it's too late. Come on, Mo, you can go on the plane. Just hold on. And she hurried off to gather the stroller and her things, calling over her shoulder, thanks anyway. They passed in the aisle of the 757, she on the way back from the lavatory with the child, he on his way to an aisle seat over the wing. She stopped and pulled the little boy into an empty space between rows to let him by. We made it, she said. He returned her smile and sat down quickly to hide the trembling of his knees. Mary Helen Stefaniak is the author of the award-winning novel, The Caliphs of Baghdad, Georgia. Her work has been translated into several languages. Her monthly column can be found online at iowasource.com. Listener-supported Bound Off is made possible by grants from the Kern Family Endowed Fund. Further support comes from the Google Grants Program. Thanks for listening to this edition of Bound Off. Copyright Bound Off and the respective authors. All rights reserved. Visit our website at boundoff.com for information about our broadcasts and how to submit your stories.